you, Rich. I got one right here. Thank you. Pretty sure I'll need that today. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn them, pull those out and turn to Luke chapter 1, please. All right. Luke chapter 1, whether you have your hard copy or a soft copy, I hope you'll turn there. If you, if you don't, on the back of your outline, I printed today's text. Uh, we are working our way through Luke chapter 1 and 2, just working our way towards Christmas. By the way, Merry Christmas. <laughs> have any of you been told happy holidays yet this year? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm telling you, Merry Christmas, because we're here celebrating the birth of Christ, and we're working, working towards that, and I'm determined I'm going to be one of those guys that uh, you're not going to steal that away from me. I'm going to say Merry Christmas, and I, I won't be offensive, but I'll say Merry Christmas. <clears throat> my desire in my heart is not to offend and, and burn a bridge, it is to build a bridge, and that people know that Christ is is a part of me. Uh, today we continue in Luke chapter 1. I've titled this series, O Come Ye, O Come All Ye Faithful. That we, as God's people, remember to come to the manger, to, to remember the birth of the Christ child. We just sang the chorus. Thank you, Kyle, for leading us in that. Uh, o come, let us adore him. We'll give him all the glory. Uh, this is just a, a reminder to kind of walk through the biblical text that leads up to the birth of Christ. And last week we looked at the breaking of the silence. It had been 400 years of silence. And, 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 and what we learned last week was just because you don't hear God speak doesn't mean he's not doing something. God can be at work in your life even though you feel like he doesn't hear a word you're saying and you don't hear anything back. God is at work, no matter what you're going through. Well, this week we continue uh, in the text. But I want to give you a biblical principle that, that you might want to jot down there on the top of your notes page. That God wants to work in us before he works through us. We're going to see this played out in today's text. God wants to work in me before he works through me. God's strategy in our life is inside out. It's an inside out strategy. He starts in our heart and eventually it comes to the surface. Now maybe you're here and you're not, you're not into this whole God thing. You, you've heard about Jesus, but yeah, I'm not sure about all that Joel, this faith thing. You know, I got to see something. I got I to be able to touch something. And you're just not sure about it. Can I just tell you that God wants to work in you? God wants to do something in your life. God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. Whether you believe it or not does not change the fact that God loves you and has a plan for your life. 
He does. Now, he wants to do something in you before he does something through you. Why do I say that? How can I say that so confidently? Because I look at Mark chapter 12, verse 30, at the great commandment. Where he says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your, with all your soul. With all your, now it'll eventually come to the surface, and with all your strength. But God wants to do something in here first. God wants to do something in your heart. Now you've heard, okay, <clears throat> I just know that we, we either have someone listening online or we have someone sitting here. But you're not familiar with all this church stuff. And sometimes we use language, and, and forgive us, because we just think that everybody understands this language. For example, watch this. If you're, if you're new to, to church or Christianity, we invite people to ask Jesus into their, into their heart. That can be very strange sounding to someone that's not familiar with what we believe. To ask him into your heart, what in the world do you mean by that? See, one of the things that separates you and I from the rest of the animal kingdom is the, is the presence of a soul. Created in the image of God, he has blown into us a soul. And scripture says, love the Lord your God with all your heart first. And I believe God's a, a God of order, not randomness. It starts in your soul. Now, here's the deal. <clears throat> Man often takes strategies and, and, and messes with them. Here's what we do. We, start, we go the other direction. Here, we'll start on the outside and tell you how to behave. We'll teach you how to behave, how to dress when you go to church, how to talk when you're in church. These are... The, in other words, religion would say, love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your mind. After you learn how to behave, you can start learning scripture, and then you can begin to fall in love with God in here. And that's not God's strategy. God wants to do something in you before he does something through you. He is an inside out. That is his strategy in your life and in my life. Let me ask you a question today. What is God doing in you these days? No, I'm not just saying that to, to pass a few seconds. I want you to stop and consider, Christian, who's been walking with the Lord for decades, what is God doing in you today, in this time of your life, in this season of your life? What's God doing? In a moment, we're going to have a moment of silence before we look into God's word. It's not a bad question. In your time of silence, God, for what I'm going through these days, what are you doing in me? What are you trying to shape in me? What are you trying to teach in me as I go through this? How in the world are you going to use this circumstance at work to, 
to do something through me. I can't stand what's going on at work. But you're going to, you must be up to something in me. What is it? And when we come to a place, and, and, and we're going to see it at the end of our text today, I'll just say it to you. <laughs> Let it be to me according to your word, Mary said. When you and I come to a place of saying, God, if that's what you're up to in my life, let it be so. Let's do this. What's God doing in you today? I believe God has a purpose in what you're going through. I believe God has a purpose in, in the difficult things and the good things. In the easy times and the hard times. God has a purpose in that. What's God doing in you? Is he giving you an opportunity to catch your breath these days? Or does, do you find yourself in difficult circumstances, having a hard time getting a breath? No matter what that might be, God is wanting to do something in you. What is it? What is it? Hmm. Let's take just a moment. And be silent before the Lord. Father, I pray that we would be keenly aware of your presence and be listening for what you're wanting to do in us. That we would spend more time today focusing on being the person you want us to be and submitting to your purposes rather than what you want us to do. I pray this in your name, Jesus Christ, amen. So today we're just going to walk through verses 26 through 45. I'll stop periodically and point out a few things that we need to pay attention to. And, and, and in today's text, there are, there are several pretty gigantic theological things that are foundational in Christianity. I'm going to point those out. You can jot them down on your outline if you want to. But they're, you'll see when we get to them, they're, they're not up for debate. <laughs> and, then, and then we'll close today like we did last week with, with some life application, things that we can walk away with <clears throat> from our text. But let's start in verse 26 uh, of Luke chapter 1. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to, from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now let's stop there for just a second. We're not talking about, in the sixth month, we're not talking about the month of June. Remember, when we read Scripture, when we uh, learn from Scripture, when we interpret Scripture, we need to keep the text in the context. We need to keep it here. So sixth month, what are we talking about? Go to the verse prior to that. Let's just start in verse 24. 
of the same chapter. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. So she was five months pregnant there. She, she remained hidden. But in the sixth month, in the sixth month of her pregnancy, God sent that angel, Gabriel, to Mary. Does that make sense? Let's just, let's just keep that there. Okay. And he sent, sent Gabriel to Nazareth, about a four-day walk from Jerusalem to Nazareth. Okay. Uh, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now, here's, here's a foundational belief in Christianity. That this woman that Gabriel was sent to was a virgin. Now, I know we have young and old in the room. I will try to be respectful of, of those ages, but it is important that you and I understand that she had not been with a man, period. If so, that could mean that the seed of Adam was passed through to this child. Scripture makes it very clear that she was a virgin. She had not been with a man. Now, she was betrothed. What does that mean? She was engaged. And in our culture today, engaged would be the closest word that we have, but it's not quite strong enough. To be betrothed in, back in the day meant you were, you were married, you just hadn't had the ceremony yet. Does that make sense? To break up, for them to break up at this point would be the equivalent, we would call it divorce. They just haven't had the ceremony yet, but they were betrothed. Her father went to his father. Let me make sure I get this right. His father went to her father, found the a woman that was appropriate for his son. He went to her father and paid him a bride price. A price that says, listen, our family is gaining something of value. Your family is losing something. This is what the value we equate. And they agree upon a bride price. And she is betrothed to him. And in that period, there is an expectation of no contact sexually. The Bible is very clear, and we as Christians believe that Christ was born to a virgin. Now, why is that important? Let's have, let's have one more thing. In your Bibles, turn back to Isaiah chapter 7. Some 700 years prior, in Isaiah chapter 7, I believe I have a slide for you with this verse. Verse 14, the prophet said this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a vir the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel means what? Anybody? God with us. The prophet was saying, this child that is going to be born to a virgin will be God with you. That's pretty foundational 
in our beliefs. Now, we got to get that one right. <laughs> if we don't get that one right, boy, there's so many things that can tailspin off of it. So Luke records, Luke is one of the four writers that record the life of Christ, his ministry. And he says and records for us after a careful investigation, a careful interview of multiple sources, that in the sixth month, Gabriel went to Mary. She was a virgin, and she was, was engaged to Joseph. Verse 28. <clears throat> and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to, to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, all right, you know me. <laughs> Joel's world. What, what did that scene look like? Where was she? Was she doing dishes? Was she tending to the house? Was she, was she in, laying in bed about to go to sleep? We don't know. But all of a sudden, Gabriel shows up and says, greetings. Mary, what's up? And can you see her face? Hey don't, hey, don't be afraid, Mary. Don't be afraid. Oh, favored one. The word favored literally is the same Greek word for grace. God's grace is upon you, Mary. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. In verse 30, he said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found grace with God. Or favor. Our, our English translations use the word favor. You have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you, you shall call his name Jesus. I'm telling you, in this scene, whenever, wherever this happened, whatever part of the day, she is excuse me, I thought you just said that I was gonna conceive a son. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that I was gonna bear a child. How can that be? For I am a virgin. Here it is again. He will be great. And he will be called son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him a throne. Give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his, king, his kingdom there will be no end. You found favor. See, listen, Mary, I'm, I'm Gabriel. I, I stand before God. I already told this to Zechariah. But God wants to do something in you before he does something through you. Uh, 
Verse 34, Mary said, how will this be? I'm a virgin. Let's keep going. He tells her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Mary, listen. At some point, the Holy Spirit of God is going to engulf you, and he is going to do something in you that is of miraculous it is miraculous, and the child that will be in you will be of miraculous origin. There are a lot of people that don't believe in miracles. But it's pretty foundational that you and I, as Christians, as followers of Christ, believe that Jesus Christ is of miraculous origin. When the Word became flesh, that was miraculous. It was not the seed of man. It was the seed of God. Says says that the, that the the spirit of God will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I don't know what that looks like. I, I don't know. I just know that our Lord is of miraculous origin when He came and became flesh and dwelt among us. That's pretty significant. That is important that you and I believe that. He said you will call his name Jesus, which means salvation. The Lord is salvation. It means God in the flesh. His kingdom has no end. It has no beginning. See, Mary, God wants to do something in you before he does something through you. In other words, while you're engulfed in the glory of God, this miraculous child will be placed in you. The glory of God. You see, this is, it's important for us to believe this because if we don't believe this, this miracle birth then how can we believe, if we don't believe it, how can we believe that he lived a sinless life? How can we believe that he he volunteered himself to death to take the penalty for my sin and your sin? How can we believe that he died and and was buried for three days and, and rose again from the dead by the power of God? If we don't believe that he is of miraculous origin and we simply believe that he was born of the seed of man, seed of man then... Man, we can go, we can get so many things wrong. That the glory of God came around Mary and the seed of God was placed in her. You see, he lived that perfect life. We haven't. We've all fallen short, huh? If you've fallen Short, if you have sin in your life, can you join me with this? Huh? Anybody? Yeah. We got three or four that have never sinned in here. Okay. <laughs> I want to meet with you right up here when we're done. I've never met one. See, in Romans, Romans 3.23, you know the verse. It says, for all have and fallen short of, we've all fallen short of Jesus. Jesus. 
every one of us have fallen short of Jesus. Hmm. We keep going in the, in the story. Verse 37. Oh, back to 36. And behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. Now let's stop for a second. In the sixth month, now, now the a- Gabriel's letting Mary know, hey, I've already got something going over there. With God's got something going in Elizabeth's life. She's going to bear a son who's going to point to your son. That's his job. His job is, her son named John is going to be born. His job is to point to your son. To make ready the way for your son. For listen, Mary, nothing is impossible with God. And I know sitting in the room, there has to be at least one person that feels like they're facing impossibilities. It's impossible what I'm facing. I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know how I'm going to handle this. Can I remind you the words of God that nothing is impossible with God in your situation? Do you realize he wants to do something in you before he does something through you? And if you find yourself in a place asking, God, what are you doing in me? You find yourself in a place where God is working on you being the person he wants you to be before he, work, he has you working on doing what he wants you to do. Focus on being who God wants you to be before you focus on doing what God wants you to do. God, what are you doing in me? What are you doing? I want to know. I want to know. So, he, he lets the news out about Miss Elizabeth, for nothing is impossible with God. Verse 38, and Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I don't know when, but she must have packed her bags in the, I don't know, next few days. got in her car, and, and started the journey towards Nazareth. I'm sorry, towards Jerusalem to where Elizabeth lived and was going to see her. Somewhere in those four days or so, the angel or the spirit of God of the Most High enveloped her And the seed of God was planted within her. Verse 39. In those days, I took a guess and said it was relatively soon. Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. These 
verses carry some pretty strong things in our belief system. Mary walks in the house, and I mean, you can you can take out of God's word what you what span of time uh, in those days, and with haste she went. So I'm saying relatively quick after Gabriel met with Mary, she packed her bags and headed towards Elizabeth's house. In those days, uh, the seed of God was placed in her, for when she walked into the house of Elizabeth, the baby that was inside of Elizabeth leaped because of the presence of what was in the womb of Mary. The word for baby in this text is the Greek word brephos. I looked it up. The dictionaries speak. They, they define the word. Let me read it to you. I have it, I have it written down here. I'm way off my notes as usual. The baby leaps in her womb. We need to stop and take note of this. The Greek word here for baby is brephos. Literally means any very young person from the womb up to an unweaned child. The now Lida Launita dictionary says it this way. A very small child, even one still unborn, a baby, an infant, a fetus. I believe scripture is teaching us that life begins in the womb. That's not popular to a lot of people. That this six-month baby inside the womb of Elizabeth leaped at the presence of this days, week, week, weeks baby in the womb of Mary. What does Mary, what does Elizabeth say? And Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary and the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, I bet that was awkward, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of the Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. See, God was doing stuff in them before he did something through them. I don't know that Mary knew the extent of how God would use her child, that he would be the savior of all mankind. That we all have a problem, man. We have a sin problem. Whether you know this or not, whether you believe this or not, doesn't, doesn't really change the fact that Jesus was born of, conceived of a miraculous origin. That he lived a perfect life, which made him 
the perfect sacrificial lamb for all of us. Because see, you and I have messed up. We got a problem. We've sinned. Jesus did not. That's very fundamental in our Christian faith. That Jesus was the spotless lamb of God. But while we were still sinners, this is how great God's love is for us. This is how God demonstrated his love for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, God had a plan to fix the sin problem that we all have. That Christ would take, that Jesus, this child we're talking about, would take our place. And anyone who would call upon him, call upon Jesus to be their savior, would experience life and eternity with God in heaven. Now, what is God doing in you? Is God calling you to trust him to be your savior? Have you never done that? Today you can. It's that simple. God has a plan to, to, with your sin problem. He help, hey, he's done that for me and he's done it for a lot of people in this room. But you might be here and, and would say, Joel, if I were to die today, man, I would be the one paying the price for my sin in my life. I, I would be the one taking the punishment. But you don't have to. See, listen, the wages, this is what the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. Here's what we earn when we sin. It's death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through, say it with me, Jesus Christ our Lord. So today I'm offering, the scripture is offering a free gift from God to place your faith in Jesus, that he took your place. He saved you from what you deserve. You can do that today. Will you do it? Will you do it? You can. Simply admit that to God. God, I've sinned. I need forgiveness. I understand that Jesus died on the cross in my place. He paid the penalty for my sin. And your, Bible, your word, the word of God says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm calling. I'm calling. Now here's that churchy phrase I mentioned a while ago. I need forgiveness. Will you forgive me? Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, Jesus. And now I'm asking you to come and live in my soul. To live in my heart. I don't understand how all that works. But today I'm ready to trust in you as my Savior. I invite you, Jesus, to come. Take over my life. Take it over. It's yours. And in the same way Mary said, may it be according to your word. Let it be. I'm your servant, man. I surrender. I'm yours. Come and take over my life. You do, if you did that just now, if you kind of walked along with me right now, the Bible says you have moved from just being one of God's creations 
to being one of his children, part of his family. And I want to celebrate that with you. Now, in just a moment, check this out. In just a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's table. This is something that Christians do. This is important to us, the Christian family, because we remember what Christ did on the cross for us. He, he shed his blood. That's what that cup represents. And, and underneath the lid on those plates, there's, there's little pieces of gluten-free bread. That represents Jesus Christ's body that was broken for me and for you. See, it's really important to Christians. To someone that is not a believer, that's just a snack. And it's really not enough juice to wash down that bread. It's meaningless to someone who has never come to the place of saying, I realize that Jesus died for me. And today I'm remembering by taking these symbols of his blood and his body. It's just what we do. It's important to us as believers. A few applications, life applications, and I finish with this. Since Jesus is the Savior of the world, as it's mentioned here, he wants to become your Savior. You can trust him today. Another application, surrendering your life to God opens the door for God to use you in miraculous ways. Christian, what's God doing in you today? What's he doing? Or are you just going in this routine, man? You're just in this routine of, of your walk. What's God doing? And the third one is this. God's strategy in our lives is to work from the inside out. Be aware that if he is molding and shaping you on the inside, that he's probably got something in store for you on the outside as well. So as we enter into this time of silence, I would ask you to prepare your hearts for the table with questions like this. God, what are you doing in me? What are you preparing me for? If there's unconfessed sin, the Bible says, man, we need to get our hearts clean and right and ready to come to this table. If you need to do that, I would encourage you to do that. But in these moments of silence, let's, let's, let's let God speak. Let's give him the last word. Let's pray. I would ask the men in just a moment that are going to help serve to come.